Hello and welcome to the Revolutionary Radio Project. I'm your host, Rob Skiba, and I'm excited to be joined once again by my co-host and friend, Zen Garcia, for our continuing study of the book of Genesis and related readings from various other books. Zen, are you there, sir? I am, brother. Good to be here with you again and the listening audience. Looking forward to continued discourse on all of this that we're bringing forth. Yeah, same here. How's your week been going? Really good. Um, finding just too much information to add to this new book. and <laughs> So just trying to complete all that. And um, yeah, How about yourself? Yeah, real good. Uh, Jake Grant had come down here. Uh, he got here on Monday. He's leaving tomorrow morning, so he's still Excellent. here this evening but we've had a very productive couple of days so we're looking forward we got a game plan for the next uh well for the remainder of the year and if we're able to follow that game plan then and it and it and we're successful with it then hopefully he can move down here come january so oh that is awesome yeah yeah very excited about it yeah it's been a very very good week <laughs> yeah very cool i can imagine that you two together will get a lot of work done yeah, I think so. A lot of stuff, yeah. And he brought the cool weather down with him. <laughs> right on. It was like in the hundreds before he got here, and like today it was 88 degrees, and I'm like, dude, you brought the, all the cool weather down with you. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. That's a plus. Yeah, definitely it was a, a nice break from the heat, especially since they won't let us go to the pool because of all this COVID stuff. So, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Nice break. Yeah, it's like okay, they won't let us go. The pool's locked down because you know this whole COVID thing, and they th- they're afraid that there's going to be liability. It's like, well, first of all, who can prove it? How can you uh-huh. prove? Oh, I got COVID at the pool. Oh, like, right. It's not like it comes with a label on you, you know, infected in the pool. <laughs> right. So crazy. Ridiculous. But um, yeah, so man, I, I'm excited to jump in. I, I think we can probably cover a fair amount of ground. This evening, my thought was, uh, we already did a recap on Genesis 6, so I'm thinking uh, I can read Genesis 7 and 8, and I know you've got some stuff you want to read that goes along with that, and if we have time uh, later in the broadcast, I'd like to read uh, Joshua 6, because it's certainly an uh, elaborated version of all of this. Mm -hmm. Sounds good, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen The Chosen yet? Uh, I've started watching it. I've uh, only seen probably one or two episodes of it. Okay. Well, yeah. Episode three, you're going to like episode three. Episode three is really, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it's really, really good. But we just finished it this evening. Wow. Nice. How many uh, episodes? Uh, eight. They had eight episodes wow. for okay. season one. Um, they're, well, COVID's kind of put a, a bit of a hold, it sounds like, on season two, but they're trying to jump through hoops to try to meet whatever requirements so they can get started on it. But I think they're having trouble finding locations that will allow them to do it at the moment. But man, I tell you, they are doing it right. They really are. I mean, I don't agree with everything that they're doing. And, and some of the casting is a little bit questionable in my mind. You know, I, I had different people in our different um, ideas of what people look like in my mm-hmm. head. For some of them, yeah. but uh, the guy that plays Yeshua, Jesus, he is awesome and uh and it just gets better and better i I think i could probably shed a tear at every single episode (laughs) wow that's awesome uh, that i've seen and i think they did like an amazing job of capturing his humanity like most movies they always do a good job of showing his divinity you know Uh 
but you know the the reality of them having to you know make camp you know because they were wandering around right and right having to start a fire by rubbing sticks together and you know here's the creator of the universe having to rub sticks together to create mm-hmm. a fire i just uh, they really did an amazing job of and, and and makes you fall in love with him all the more when you see him for his humanity right. it's, it's, you you respect his divinity i guess yeah uh, it's kind of interesting how that works out but i'm real excited for them um and they've they've provided the perfect proof of concept for how to do it this the way that i want to do seed is this exactly the way they did the chosen you know crowdfunded in the whole deal so mm-hmm. uh really excited for them uh, I, I watched the first four uh, when they first came out and then there's a long break and i just now we just watched the last four yesterday and today so uh i want to go back and watch all eight of them in a row kind of binge watch on the weekend mm-hmm bring a lot of uh, tissue paper <laughs> yeah that's what i need to do too is just binge watch all of them yeah I, I think you'll really benefit from doing it that way for sure mm-hmm. and i like doing it that way too if i'm gonna you know be into something yeah uh people are in the chat room asking what it's called the chosen and i believe the website is thechosen.tv, so you can check it out thechosen.tv. really good all right uh, let me see. I got uh, Genesis six. Uh, excuse me, Genesis seven ready to go. So, all right, let's jump in here. Genesis seven from the King James Bible. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls and of every thing that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventh day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah, and Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah, into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lifted above the earth, and the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. Uh, 
And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. So much for the local flood idea. <laughs> right. And then all in whose... All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. That's the end of chapter 7. I'll go ahead and do chapter 8 also. All right. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated. The ark rested in the seventh month on the seventh day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat, and the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the earth, whole earth, whole earth. Then he put his put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and went forth and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And it came to pass in the six hundredth year, six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spoke, spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Excellent. All right, I'll, I'll read the Targum version first since it's, um, you know, so close to as far as the King James account. And then we can share some of these others. 
And the Lord said to Noah, Enter thou and every one of thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of all clean cattle, take thou seven by seven, male and female, and of all cattle not clean, two and two, male and female. But of birds of the heaven, seven by seven, male and female, to preserve from them seed upon the earth. For behold, I give you space of seven days. If they will be converted, it shall be forgiven them. But if they will not be converted, after a time of days, yet seven, I will cause rain to come down upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and will destroy all bodies of man and of beast upon the earth. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And Noah was the son of six hundred years when the deluge of waters was upon the earth. And Noah entered with his sons and his wife and wives of his sons with him into the ark from before the waters of the deluge. Of all cattle clean and of cattle unclean, of birds and of whatever creepeth upon the earth, two and two they entered unto Noah into the ark, male and female, as the Lord had instructed Noah. And it was at the time of seven days after the conclusion of the morning for Methuselah that the Lord beheld, and lo, the sons of men had not turned, and the waters of the deluge came down hotly from heavens upon the earth. In the 600th year of the life of Noah, in the second month, which was the month of Marshavan, for hitherto the months had been numbered from Tishri, which was the beginning of the year at the completion of the world. In the 17th day of the month, in that day were all the fountains of the great deep, broken up, and the giants were gathered there together with their sons, and perturbed them, and afterwards the windows of heaven were opened, Jerusalem, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain came down upon the earth forty days and forty nights, in that same day entered Noah and Shem and Shem, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and the wife of Noah, and the three wives of his sons with him into the ark they and every animal after his kind, and all cattle after their kind, and every reptile that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after its kind, every bird which flieth. And they entered to know unto the ark two and two of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. And they coming entered male and female of all flesh unto him as the Lord had instructed him. And the word of the Lord covered over the door of the ark upon the face thereof. And there was a flood forty days upon the earth, and the waters were multiplied and bare up the ark, and it was lifted from the earth, and the waters waxed mighty and increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went floating upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed greatly upon the earth, and all the high hills which were under the heavens were covered. Fifteen cubits higher did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh expired which moveth upon the earth, of fowl and of cattle and of wild beasts, and every moving thing that moveth upon the earth, and all the sons of men, everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all on dry land died, and all the bodies of men and beasts upon the face of the earth, from man to cattle to creeping thing and to the fowl, which wingeth in the air of heaven perished from the earth, and Noah only was left, and they who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred 
and 50 days. Chapter 8. And the Lord in his word remembered Noah and all the animals and the cattle which were with him in the ark. And the Lord caused the wind of mercies to pass over the earth, and the waters were dried. Jerusalem. And he remembered in his mercies the good which was with Noah, and the Lord caused the wind of mercies. And the fountains of the deep were shut up, and the windows of heaven. And the rain was forbidden to descend from heaven, and the waters returned from being on the earth, going and returning. And the waters were minished at the end of a hundred and fifty days, and the ark rested in the seventh month, which is the month of Nisan, in the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Quadron. The name of the one mountain is Cordinia, and the name of the other mountain, Armenia. And there was builded the city of Armenia in the land of the east. And the waters went and diminished until the tenth month, the month of Tammuz. In Tammuz, in the first of the month, the heads of the mountains were seen. And it was at the end of forty days, and Noah opened the aperture of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it went forth, going forth and returning, until the waters had dried from the earth. And he sent forth a house dove from being with him, to see whether the waters were lightened from off the face of the earth. And the dove found no rest for the sole of the foot, and returned unto him to the ark. And he knew that the waters were yet upon the face of all the earth. And he reached out his hand, and took and brought her unto him into the ark, and prolonged waited yet seven days. Jerusalem, and he began to number. And again he sent the dove from the ark, and the dove came to him. At the evening time, and behold, a leaf of olive gathered, broken off. She brought in her mouth, and which she had taken from the mount of Meshisha. And Noah understood that the waters had lightened from being on the earth. And he prolonged yet seven days, and added to send forth the dove. But she added, not to return to him again. And it was in the six hundred and and first year in Tishri, in the first of the month, in the beginning of the year, that the waters were dried from upon the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and saw the faces of the ground to be dried. And in the month of Marshavan, in the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dry. And the Lord spake with Noah, saying, Go forth from the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and the wives of thy sons, with thee. Every living animal that is with thee of all flesh, of fowl, of cattle, and of every reptile that creepeth on the earth, bring forth with thee, that they may produce in the earth and spread abroad and multiply on the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wives and the wives of his sons with him. Every animal, every reptile, and every bird which moveth upon the earth according to its seed went forth from the ark, and Noah builded the altar before the Lord, that altar which Adam had builded in the first time when he was cast forth from the Garden of Eden, and had offered an oblation upon it, and upon it had Cain and Abel offered their oblations. But when the waters of the deluge descended, it was destroyed, and Noah rebuilded it, and he took of all clean cattle and all clean fowl, and sacrificed for upon that altar. And the Lord accepted his oblation with favor. And the Lord said in his word, I will not add again to curse the earth on account of the sin of the children of men. For the imagination of the heart of man 
is evil from his youth. Neither will I add to destroy whatever liveth, as I have done, until all the days of the earth, sowing in the season of Tishri, and harvest in the season of Nisan, and coldness in the season of Tibet, and warmth in the season of Tammuz, and summer and winter and days and nights shall not fail. Jerusalem, until all the days of the earth from now, sowing and reaping and cold and heat, and days and nights shall not cease. End of the Targum reading. So when you're saying Jerusalem, that's a differentiation between the, the Jerusalem Targum and... Yes, and the Palestinian. Palestinian. So they're just giving a slight... Alternate reading, slight alternate, yeah. yeah. And usually it's only a couple of verses or passages that are different. Yeah, and that's kind of similar. I was talking with Jake uh, earlier today about the um, Charles translation, where Charles... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's my understanding... Correct me if I'm wrong. That in the Charles, when when you see a dual reading side by side, he's comparing the Greek with the Ethiopic. Is that right? Or I, I do believe so. Um, but you know, I, I'm not uh, real familiar with the the Greek Book of Enoch. Um, and I, yeah. you know, I yeah, think so. that's what it was. I, I, I again, I'd have to go back and look at it. Yeah, uh, I know that there's the Gies, the oh maybe that Ethiopic. Giza. That is the Ethiopic. Oh, that that is the Ethiopic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I think it was the Ethiopic that is complete, and other mm-hmm. ones are in fragment. Right. Yeah. Where the fragments are, there are some similarities. I mean, it's, it doesn't deviate too much. I mean, there'd be slightly different wording. Right. But, you know, the, I guess he just felt like, well, I'll just put both of them there. Yeah. Might as well. Uh, you know, Jake did the. Um, the dramatized version of Enoch, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, we're going to be working together. Uh, I had this idea, you know, I'm still planning on releasing Charles with you reading all of Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to get sit down and edit that, but and then myself reading all of Lawrence, so releasing two different videos with the complete reading of Enoch from both translations by you and I. Oh, but that'll be cool. Then I want to re-release our quest for truth episodes that we're doing taking out all of our banter that has nothing to do with the <laughs> the topic Actual readings yeah and the commercial breaks and just doing a straight edit but using his dramatized version for the reading so ah, that would be cool yeah so it'd be like and do it and i'm going to do them like chapter by chapter except for when there's really short chapters you know maybe do it two or three chapters or something mm-hmm. but make short you know segmented videos um so it'll start off like enoch chapter one with Jake's rendition of the Book of Enoch from Charles, uh, and then we segue from that into our discussion, uh, minus all the commercials and other mm-hmm. side trails. So it'll be a a cleaner version of our show on that, I think, uh, that I'll probably upload to uh, the Quest for Truth webpage uh, that I had with Doug Hamp uh-huh. uh, under the Genesis and Enoch uh, section. So we're going to do Enoch first. See how that goes. And he was questioning that because um, when he's doing the the dramatized reading, he's like, "Well, I can't do both, you know, because that just <laughs> messes up the flow of the you know the drama." So he, you know, he just picked one and mm-hmm. and went with. I'm like, yeah. I mean, they don't. I don't remember them deviating too much. Yeah. No. Um. So it, that'd be about the same between the uh, the, the Jerusalem and the what, what was the Palestinian? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Targum. Yeah. The Aramaic and the Palestinian. Yeah, the Jerusalem is the Aramaic, so. Oh, okay. Yep. 
it, so uh, I always found it interesting that uh, that he changed the start of the year. So like yeah, mm-hmm. flood world that it you know it started I I guess in Tishri right. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's what it says, and that's um, interesting because you know that's the way it is in Israel even now. The you know Rosh Hashanah is mm-hmm. the first of Tishri Yom Torah, but we know that in Exodus that um, yeah, it was changed to Abiyuk Nisan that that was the beginning of the year. Which it's interesting to me that um, in the Book of Enoch that is also. That Nisan is the beginning of the year. Huh. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, it begins with the vernal equinox. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, when the sun is between the third and fourth gate of heaven, uh, which is, you know, when the hours of night and day are equal 12, being the vernal equinox, uh, that's the beginning of the year. And then it, the summer begins with the summer solstice, when the sun reaches the Tropic of cancer and then reversing course when it reaches again the equinox for the autumnal equinox that's the beginning of fall and so and then when it reaches the tropic capricorn for the winter solstice that's the beginning of winter so that's interesting because we're looking at the pre-flood world from from the biblical perspective and it's saying that the the head of the year was Tishri, yet Enoch's mm-hmm. a pre, we presumably a pre-flood text, and it's yeah. just that it's the, uh, for the month of Passover. So, would that be a prophetic statement, or why? I mean, where, where would be the discrepancy? I mean, how would you reconcile that? I guess is better. Well, we're going to break. Uh, we got about uh, four seconds or so before we go to break. <laughs> you know, um, maybe you can think about that during the break and talk yeah. about it back. Yeah, yeah, I'll think about. It. The seeker of lost paradise may seem a fool to those who have never sought the other worlds. Christ told us in Revelation 2, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and do the first works. What many people don't realize about the fall of humanity is that Adam and Eve were initially bright-natured and that they were placed into the garden of God to dress and tend it, and that being deceived and tempted and eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that in that moment that you touch thereof you shall die, that they come under the authority of death in those moments, and since their fall have been banished from the place of the immortals. This concept becomes very clear in the work of the forgotten Edenic books of Adam and Eve. And as we study and read into this material, this knowledge will come to light and it will help you to understand that being restored to our bright nature, our first estate through Christ, that the reason he had to take on embodiment and enter into mortal flesh form was in order to not only redeem the ancestors of Adam, the children of light, but also to rectify us and to restore us to our first estate in this manner, defeating death and bringing forth salvation 
with the promise of the cross. Many truth seekers are constantly studying alone. But there is a place where we can come together. The Digital Readers Club is our online ecclesia meant for those who've forsaken churchianity but still want the closeness of a family to study with. Join us every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time to put together the puzzle pieces of truth scattered throughout the ancient scriptures. Everyday questions arise. Are the stories in the Bible true? What if I told you that there are hundreds of confirming witnesses? Which give intricate detail to the stories in the Bible. Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together. we're back on the revolutionary radio project i'm your host rob skiba and i'm joined with zen garcia we're discussing the book of genesis and um right before the break uh, we're discussing how the book of enoch apparently describes the head of the year as being the same as like nissan the beginning of the hebrew calendar today the way it is now the the uh, month of passover but uh, biblically speaking, in the pre-flood world, it was saying that at that time the head of the year was Tishri in the seventh month. So both of these giving an account of the pre-flood world, how would you reconcile that? <laughs> yeah, I was really I was thinking about that, and um, what I had thought about is something that I found in the legends of the patriarchs and the prophets, and it speaks about how um, Adam and Eve were banished from paradise on the first of Tishri, which was Yom Terah. And also that um, the coming of Christ um, speculation that perhaps um, he had come in first advent and without a doubt in second advent, it says that he would return on Yom Terah, the day that no man knoweth, the yep. day or the hour, and that uh, in when the seventh trump is blown that that would be on Yom Terah, and that would be um, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord. And so that um, that may be why 
at the beginning because Adam was cast out on Yom Tura, that that would be the beginning of the year. Um, and it would make sense that being exiled on that day and that being the first day he was here on the earth, that the year would begin with that day and that he would recognize that as Rosh Hashanah um, until the times were changed. You know, that that is interesting because, like, I mean, the, the Jews recognize what the Torah says, obviously, about the head of the year being Nisan. Um, but yet they do Rosh Hashanah, head of the year in Tishri. Uh, uh-huh. as, as You often hear it as, you know, the secular New Year's versus the biblical New Year's. Uh, and, of course, we have January 1st. Um, and I had read that there was a belief that Adam was created on Feast of Trumpets, Tishri 1. Um, and so that's interesting if that's true, that they were banished from Eden also on Tishri 1. That's that's rather interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that he, Yeshua was born, the second Adam was definitely born, in my opinion, on Feast of Trumpets, uh, according to the Revelation 12, 1 through 5. That's what I believe as well, yes. Which on our Gregorian calendar, uh, when you track it back, was September 11th, 3 BC, which is really fascinating if you download the free software Stellarium. And uh, the Stellarium reckons 3 BC as negative 2 in the software. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something about no year zero or something. I always get my head kind of twisted around when I think about that. But uh, anyway, they reckon 3 BC as negative 2. And so if you use the software to back up to negative 2, and uh, and I, I actually go back to like around August uh, 28th, I believe. And I described this at quite some length in my book, Babylon Rising, uh, the dance of the stars that takes place at that time. And it and you can watch it. Like you can step it forward slowly or fast or you know, watch it, you know, however speed you want to on Stellarium. But it's quite impressive what, what happens in the, the alignment where you have Leo, the king constellation, and uh was it I think it's Rigel, the king star, mm-hmm. and Jupiter, the king planet. So you have the three kings on top of each other at one point and it, it and i forget exactly how it all comes but it's like mercury who's reckoned as the messenger of the gods comes through this alignment and then uh there's uh, and venus sits on top of her king for a while and then everything moves in such that you end up with the alignment of the stars above her head virgo mm-hmm. and the uh and the moon. Kind of like 12 stars yeah. and when you see that alignment when you actually see it play out the moon that is at her feet is a crescent new moon. So oh, nice, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm like, what else do you do with Revelation 12? I mean, if you, right. if you read Revelation 12, 1 through 5, you know, the only thing that fits, in my mind anyway, is is the birth of Yeshua. And if that's the sign in the heaven, then that exact sign, and it happens for, I believe it was 80 minutes. Uh, wow. 11th uh, 2 BC or 3 BC negative 2 in the software which I imagine may have been the period of labor that she may have been in labor for 80 minutes and, uh-huh. and delivered um, you know that's just speculation on my part now there's other people uh, sort of the dominant view I, I run into a lot in the so called Hebrew roots movement is that they believe he was born on tabernacles and they give the reason for that, and you know, but most of it's anecdotal, and they'll use, you know, see, he tabernacled ab- among us. But the problem is, he couldn't have tabern- na- tabernacled among us if he was born at the beginning of Sukkot, 
he was born at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles, then the Torah says that when the woman gives birth to a male, she has to stay, you know, sequestered away in her quote unquote uh-huh. uncleanness. Right. Uh, for eight seven days. days. Yeah, seven days. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's that circumcised on the eighth, yeah. the eighth day. So he wouldn't have been able to tabernacle him. He would, and that's part of the bonding. Uh, you know, with the baby, with the child and the mother, that there's a different time period for the, if there's a daughter born, but, uh, you know, so in that time in her quote unquote, and that's not unclean as in sin or anything like that. It's just, right. you know, uh, ritually, I guess you might say unclean uh, through the birth birthing process and whatnot. Right. So she has to be cleansed with the baby for seven days. So, you know, and, and the other problem is that all males are commanded to be in Jerusalem, for the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh-huh. So Passover, uh, Pentecost, and uh, uh, Sukkot, Tabernacles, you have to be in Jerusalem. That's not a good way for the Son of God to show up. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Violating everything in, in Bethlehem. <laughs> so, to me, I mean, you have the Revelation 12, 1 through 5 sign that's a, a slam dunk home run, in my opinion. Uh, and then you have, okay, so he's seven days with Mary, you know, doing her thing in Bethlehem. Uh, eighth day circumcised, then tenth day is... Uh, Yom Kippur, day of yes. uh, then, you know, a few days later, he could have easily, with no problem, been tabernacling among us. Right, right. He'd still tabernacle among us even if he was born on uh, trumpets. I just think there's way too many. Plus, that's the, um, that's the time when kings are coronated, and they would sound, of course, the, the, the ritual of the Feast of Trumpets is just like it sounds, blow the trumpets, right? So there's mm-hmm, the shofar. So they're blowing the shofars, and you know that's the time when kings are coronated. So the king of kings shows up. You know his birthday is the day that kings are coronated, and yes, to the sound of men blowing trumpets and celebrating, and angels, angels, yes, same. So I just think it's a much more epic birth. Absolutely, for me, a much more biblical, uh, biblically supported birth. That's also. Uh, lines up you, that you can watch the thing happen on Stellarium if you want to go check it out. So, yeah, I'm very much of the opinion that he was born. And so, if the first Adam was born on Tishri One, and the second Adam was born on Tishri One, and as you said, he's coming back on Tishri One. Yes. That's what I tell people that are still hung up on the Christmas thing. I'm like, look, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the birth of our Savior. Let's just do it on the day he was actually born. Right. Because. <laughs> He's coming back on his birthday. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's a good time to start practicing, and it's not December twenty fifth. You know, right. you're the party. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, um, I'll share with you the passage that uh, is connected. This is from the Legends of the Patriarchs and the Prophets. It says, "Now it was the first day of the seventh month, Tishri, the day on which, at the close of the world's history, the Lord will come to judge the quick and the dead." that the Lord God remembered Sarah and the promise he had made and looked upon her and she conceived a son in her old age one year and four months after her sojourn in Gerar and nine months after, say some, but say others six months and two days after, at midday, say some others in the evening of the 15th of Nisan, or as others affirm on the first of Nisan, she was delivered of a son without suffering any pains in the bringing forth. And the same time that Sarah's womb was blessed, God looked upon many other barren women and blessed them also. And on the day that the child was born, they were delivered likewise. And the blind saw, the dumb spake, the deaf heard, and the lame walked, and the crazed recovered their senses. Also the sun shone forty-eight times brighter 
than he shines at midsummer, even with the splendor that he had on the day of his creation. And so here it's saying that, you know, again, on the first of Tishri, uh, when the Lord will come again at the end to the close of the world's history, that he looked upon Sarah and then she became pregnant. And on the 15th of Nisan is when um, the, the Isaac was born. Um, so interesting that that's also, you know, associated to the Passover festival, um, the unleavened bread. Yeah, it is interesting. So, yeah. I, just to to answer the question earlier, to perhaps reconcile it all, is that God has always, I mean, we see when we get into the Torah that he clearly says that this will be the beginning of the year for you, and it's mm-hmm. you know, the month of Passover, uh, as if that's a, a change. But perhaps it's always been sort of a dual reckoning. Right, right, you know, yeah. Uh, where, where, okay, we understand that as far as the, Moedim, the appointed times season that we're commanded to keep forever, uh, that that starts in the spring, but that there was this understanding that sort of humanity life and life after the garden even um, has a start in the seventh month. Yes, on the first of Tishri, yes. You know, maybe that's, uh, you know, I guess that's probably the only way that I can reconcile it is to say that, because it has always been, uh, I've always been curious as to why. I mean, Jews know their Torah, you know. Right. So, why do they still worldwide do this whole, you know, Rosh Hashanah thing? Right. Here, when clearly their Torah says, you know, uh, but you know, maybe there's sort of just a this dual reckoning, dual understanding. You know, I'm I'm sure somebody probably wrote about this in some kind of commentary somewhere. I just I'm not aware of it. Yeah, um, I'm not either, and so it would be interesting to, you know, if somebody that is a uh, knows a rabbi in Jerusalem, if they could tell us the context of why Rosh Hashanah is celebrated on the yeah. first of Tishri, and if it has any association to um, Adam being banished from paradise on that day, and also that you know this is the day that. Uh, well, they don't recognize Christ as Messiah, so yeah. But he will I, return. Actually, you know, we say return. Well, some, yeah. We, well, we say return. I think they. Mm-hmm. I think they actually still believe they're waiting for the Messiah. Right. Yeah. To, you, you know, for them, it'd be the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. To come. Uh, you know that, that that's and also Yom Tura is the day no man knows the day or the hour. You know because that's the whole you know, issue with uh, sighting the moon and when, is, you know, can you see it or not? You don't know when you're going to see it. And, you know, it's also uh, known as the the hidden day. Like, there's all right. different idioms that uh, I ran into when I was looking into the, that whole thing. Um, people in the chat room are wondering, okay, then is Yeshua's birthday on September 11th? Well, it was that year. Uh, the problem is when you overlay the Hebrew calendar with the Gregorian calendar, it it slides. changes yeah, yeah it changes so every year. yeah tishri one won't always fall sometimes it does but it won't always fall on september 11 right um, so i kind of you know i kind of do both like yeah i recognize that we are on the gregorian calendar and that if the it wasn't in it wasn't in service at that time but when we back off our gregorian calendar to that date that we see that that's tishri one so i celebrate his birthday uh on 
Tishri one feast of trumpets. But I, I tend to make some comments on September 11th too, just to get people going on <laughs> Facebook, you know, happy birthday, Jesus, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. This is kind of going a little bit, but, uh, you know, but I, I would, I would say I officially recognize his birthday as trumpets, Feast of Trumpets, uh, Yom Torah, and kind of jokingly yet in honor of the calendar that we are all stuck with right now, also recognize it on September 11th, but I don't recognize it on December 25th. <laughs> right. Yes. That's pagan. Yeah. That has nothing to do with it. And this is what I'm trying to get across to some people because I posted something about the, the, um, the chosen and the actor that plays Jesus. Uh, I really like him at first. I didn't, I, you know, it took me a little bit to get used to him, but, uh, by certainly by episode three, uh, I just, wow. I mean, this guy just knocks it out of the park. And I, and I saw a, um, interview that Dallas Jenkins did with the actor that plays him. Uh, and I posted that on my Facebook page. So if you haven't seen him, want to check it out. It's really good. Just listening to them talk. Um, and, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, well, you're talking about his birthday and, uh, Christmas being pagan. Oh, 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 yeah, and so, you know, Dave, Dave Murphy, bless his heart, <laughs> of course, these other people, you know, Jesus was black, I don't care what color he was, I'm, look, this is a TV series that's out, and they got a white Jesus, if they had a black one, I wouldn't care, it doesn't bother yeah, me, right. but either way, I think, I think there's reasonable arguments both ways, um, I don't care if he was plaid with pink polka dots, that doesn't matter, to <laughs> you know, um, my point was the actor is bringing the appropriate emotions to it. But, you know, like Dave, he just he's so stuck on the Jesus that's anti-Torah. And I keep trying to tell him, look, dude, I agree with you. Zeitgeist was true. If you watch the Zeitgeist mo movie and Eric Dubé, too, Eric Dubé did the whole anti-Jesus uh, video. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, sadly, they're right. But that Jesus isn't Yeshua. Right. There is the Hebrew Yeshua of the tribe of Judah, who never disobeyed his father, who always kept the Torah perfectly, you know. Um, and then there's the counterfeit that has become known by the pseudonym Jesus, you know, the, through transliteration. Uh, that nobody's ever even heard the word Jesus till less than 400 years ago, mm -hmm. you know? and and that word was transliterated from Yeshua. But not only was the word transliterated into this J E S U S word, there along with that version of him is the the Catholic version. That, you know, that when they started, you know, blending all you know. Uh, the Bible with paganism and making synchronicity and stuff. Hey, let's just do, you know, he's just another dying and resurrecting sun God who was born on December 25th. And, you know, all of the tradition and ritual that tends to surround the Jesus who looks like a surfer dude uh, <laughs> is false. And, but that's the one that everybody wants to attack. And I'm like, well, you, I agree with you. You're right. That guy is a fraud. He is a counterfeit. He is everything, you know, uh, the, the guy that, you know, says it's okay to eat pork, <laughs> you know, uh, -huh. uh the, you know, all the, he doesn't say that, but what people right. twist him to, you know, everything that's anti-Torah in that guy, uh -huh. it's false. But the Hebrew 
who went by the name of Yeshua or Yahushua for or the long form version of it. Yah is salvation of the tribe of Judah, who yes. tore perfectly. That's an entirely different person, you know, than uh, w- what we are presented with today in modern Christianity and church. Right. So, yeah, the one that fulfilled the Levitical feast days of his father. Perfectly. Exactly. Um, so, speaking of, uh, well, not so much feast day. Well, yeah, I guess you could say the Levitical feast days is, yeah, you know, we, we get these Moedim appointed times laid out for us, Leviticus 23. But there's evidence that the, they were doing these things in the pre-flood world. Uh, and they were doing oh, yeah. Without the a time doubt. of Moses that, you know, Abraham, if, if you look at the timing of various events, including the, the flood, um, they land on these significant days. And so something you were reading, it sounded like, and maybe I, I don't know if I heard it right or not, that the altar that Abel had presented his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the one that Noah had rebuilt after the flood. So, so then that would presuppose that, that he, after they got off the ark, he somehow figured out topographically where they were and went back to, or either that or the ark landed, you know, that wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. If you had just said, okay, you know, the ark's going to float around for a while and I'm going to float it and land it right here. Yes, exactly. Uh, and, you know, it would be a familiar place in that regard. If, you know, right. Even after the flood, there would have been something that... It would have had to have been familiar to him for that to be possible. Right, right. Yeah, and I do believe that that is what occurred because uh, I wouldn't think that you know Noah would have to go wandering around a great distance in order to find the altar, but that I think that oh wow, here's the altar that Adam had built. Yeah, um, yeah let me just fix it up and I'll offer a sacrifice upon it. Well, you know, I, I'm having a just sort of a theatrical vision of that right now is when, when, cause when I think of the whole world being flooded and it says in the Genesis account that the waters assuaged. And I remember looking that up a long time ago and it's basically like the waters were coming and going. So it was this sort of idea of sloshing uh-huh. you know, water, like a washing machine. You know, and which explains the what we now call the geologic column, the uh, various layers of rock strata being laid down as a result of all of that. So, you know, and when you consider the fountains of great deep being broken up, the windows of heaven, you know, opening, and we saw from the book of Enoch that, you know, these are massive torrents of water coming through physical openings in a physical structure known as the firmament. Right filling up the enclosure that, you know, this, the, the ground would have been seriously, I mean, the whole reason we have fossils all over the world and we have, you know, even fossilized sea life on top of mountains is because the whole world was covered in a flood. Mm-hmm. Mike Heiser, you know, people right. want to say, oh, it's a localized flood. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, how do you explain the fossils of whales on top of mountains and you know, sea life and creatures. I mean, if yeah. it's localized, it doesn't make any sense. So in this sort of cinematic vision that I have when you're talking is in imagining all of that, everything being thoroughly buried, uh, you know, both in mud as well as water. And that's how you end up with fossils. That's how you can have fossilized soft tissue uh, in the first place. Then 
when the ark in the waters is swaging, maybe as the water's coming and going, it was removing some of the sediment to uh-huh. reveal the altar. Right. So when the ark landed, Noah's going, "Hey, uh, check that out," <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think so. And then um, uh, it also that when Adam was cast down, that they initially came and lived upon a mountain somewhere um and so that if he built the altar there and we know that um you know noah landed on top of uh, a mountain as well that if there's some connection in that regard and then also it says in the targum when you get to the time of abraham and isaac that abraham also offered isaac upon the same altar that Noah rebuilt ah. after the flood. Yeah, and so all of that is connected as well. Well, okay, so then that would mean that after they got off the ark in the mountains of Ararat, they would have made their way back to the land of Canaan area because Mount Moriah and the whole Abraham Right, yes, there, Mount Moriah. Mm-hmm. You'd have to be, you know, he'd have to be in the land we now call Israel. Uh-huh, right. Uh, so, you know, he must have made some kind of trek then in order to do that for that, in order for that to work out. Right. If that's the case. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, if that is, you know, and I do believe that there is a text, uh, it's called the Kitab al-Magali, uh, the book of roles from the anti-Nicene fathers that it speaks about when Adam was cast out of paradise, that it was to Mount Moriah that he Huh. Um, went and so that would link up to the whole thing of Abraham and so yeah it would have to be a journey but um, who knows so what, what are your thoughts on the final resting place of Noah's Ark do you subscribe to the Ron Wyatt idea or are you of the opinion of Mount Ararat uh, at Greater Ararat um, well, yeah, it does say Ararat uh, within the scriptures, um, but if, you know, the, as far as the discoveries of Ron Wyatt, which I do believe that he was blessed to really discover a lot of things that uh, give credence to the Bible, and that the Jonathan Gray, he also went there uh, to confirm his findings and the discoveries that he made, and so there seems to be something, without a doubt, to what he had located, and then all of the uh, the ballast stones or the anchors that were dropped off, and the yeah, you know the, the huge stones. size of those, and also to the uh, the the names of the towns that came up, and the connections to the children, and also to the wife of Noah, and that there was said to be um, there a gravesite for the wife of Noah and that um, some uh, somehow somebody had dug up the bones and so they exhumed the body and uh, to protect the bones or something of that nature uh, and Jonathan Gray in a show that I did with him uh, he said that the bones of Noah's wife measured out to be like 14 feet huh. tall so I thought that was uh, interesting as well. And they did say that, you know, as far as, um, well, you know, the 10 generations of Noah 
I mean, leading up to that they were of larger stature and lived longer lifespans. And so uh, that seemed to be interesting with what he, what he had said. All right. Well, we'll hold on that note. We're getting ready to go to break, and we'll come back and talk some more and then uh, get into the uh, Joshua account. Sounds good. The seeker of lost paradise may seem a fool to those who have never sought the other worlds. Christ told us in Revelation 2, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and do the first works. What many people don't realize about the fall of humanity is that Adam and Eve were initially bright-natured and that they were placed into the Garden of God to dress and tend it, and that being deceived and tempted and eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge good and evil, that in that moment that you touch thereof you shall die, that they come under the authority of death in those moments and since their fall have been banished from the place of the immortals. This concept becomes very clear in the work of the forgotten Edenic books of Adam and Eve. And as we study and read into this material, this knowledge will come to light and it will help you to understand that being restored to our bright nature, our first estate through Christ, that the reason he had to take on embodiment and enter into mortal flesh form was in order to not only redeem the ancestors of Adam, the children of light, but also to rectify us and to restore us to our first estate in this manner, defeating death and bringing forth salvation with the promise of the cross. Many truth seekers are constantly studying alone. But there is a place where we can come together. The Digital Readers Club is our online ecclesia meant for those who've forsaken churchianity but still want the closeness of a family to study with. Join us every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time to put together the puzzle pieces of truth scattered throughout the ancient scriptures. Every day, questions arise. Are the stories in the Bible true? What if I told you that there are hundreds of confirming witnesses which give intricate detail to the stories in the Bible? Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together.
back on the revolutionary radio project for the second hour of the broadcast man as usual time is flying flying by wow so uh yeah so right before the break we were discussing the possibility that the pre-flood patriarchs were much taller than man is today and i could buy that I, i can believe that it seems like sort of the common number that i hear thrown around is about 14 feet tall is that the is that what you've heard as sort of the common number Mm -hmm. yeah i do think uh you know from that adam was much taller but that um as we go from him that by the time of noah um and certainly you know the testimony from jonathan gray and uh ron wyatt according to the the bones of supposedly Noah's wife being that size that seems to you know attest to um, her being about 14 feet and so yeah it would make sense to me because uh, definitely you know living almost a thousand years uh, and being of larger stature I would I would assume that because God does say that he's going to reduce the lifespan and the stature and in the book of Enoch, he says even for the giants that their lifespan would be reduced to 500 years. Yeah. And so um, I do think there was a a big shift after the flood. And we even see that, you know, Shem, by the time of Shem, he lived 600 years. And then by the time of Abraham, the two longevities, yeah, 175, you know, so. Yeah, we're we're in the two hundred, and then by the time you get to Moses, it's capping out at one twenty. One twenty, yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I've talked about this. We've talked about this on a number of shows before. But the the tomb of Abel is in Damascus, in the hills of Damascus. Really interesting place. And if you just do a Google search for the tomb of Abel, it, I think it's about fourteen feet long. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Wow. Yeah, I've I've got it up on the screen right now. But I mean, you could just do a Google search: tomb of Abel, Damascus. And you'll cool. see it. Uh, and just uh, by way of those who are paying attention, it's a little bit of a seed in seed because I've got a sequence in the TV series seed directly related to this <laughs> uh, that I've written into the story for nice. one of the main characters. Um, it, it, regarding uh, the whole what happened in Genesis 3 scenario, Serpent Seed, um, you know, with the Nephilim. We know that when angels mate with humans, you get really big giants, like really mm-hmm. big, you know, 300 L's. Uh, Dr. A. Nyland says 300 L's equals 300 cubits, which equals 450 feet. So, which right. evidently, you know, we can't conceive of that, uh, but the Greeks had no problem with that. I mean, yeah, with the titans. titans. And mm-hmm. I mean, even in the movies, like uh, I think it was Wrath of the Titans, um, and also one of the Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief type uh, movies, they. Um, in both cases, they're dealing with the resurrection of Kronos, um, and yeah. they depict him. You know, they depict him as a 400-footer. You know, so I mean, the ancients had no problem believing that. You know, what, of that, yeah. Whether were people t- 
today do or not. But then the question comes up, okay, well, then was Kane a giant? And uh, we recently just had a, a really cool flat, up, flat Earth meetup at uh, Chris Pontius's house uh, and, cool. in his workshop this past uh, Sunday. And uh, I think her name is Desi. Uh, forgive me if I get it wrong, but uh, she was a woman there and pulled me aside and was talking about that whole issue, Serpent Seed. And she's like, I think I understand. I don't believe that Cain was a giant, and I think I know why. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, go for it. Let me know. And she just recently posted a video on it. Now, there's much in her video that I would disagree with. But the premise that she has as far as why she thinks Cain was not a giant, you know, other than perhaps equal to, you know, the 14-footers or whatever uh, uh. the other patriarchs may have been, was she believes that the interaction that took place there, you know, we don't know how long it took for the light suit nature to disappear. Uh -huh. I mean, you might assume that take a bite and instantly poof was gone, but perhaps it was gradual. Perhaps it uh -huh. you know, began to diminish. And she was saying that, you know, if the copulation took place before that process was complete, then, then the conceived cane would have, uh, changed at the same time as Eve changed. Uh, so as the body was changing from the light suit body to the, the flesh body that we have now, mm -hmm. if, if she was, if, if the act took place during that process of change, then the, the baby inside, you know, at the moment of conception would have gone through the same transformation. And so he wouldn't, he would have been born without, she called it a genetic glitch that when angel mates with woman, there's a genetic glitch that causes gigantism. And, and I've tried to tell people, this is not a complicated thing. Like uh -huh. we, we think giant, we think angel mates with human and there's this supernatural aspect to it. I don't think it's that complicated. Honestly, when you look into the Liger, this is what changed everything for me. I, I listened to this, uh, uh, Oh, I forget her name. Now the, this woman did a Ted talk on epigenetics and how epigenetic markers work. And, I was looking into the whole issue of epigenetics and how all that works. At the same time, I became aware of the ligers. And uh, I think it's ligerliger.com. Let me see if I can look that up while I'm talking here. Uh, ligerliger.com uh, was the uh, – looks like I can't get there now. Liger, liger. Anyway, oh, it's giving me a warning that it may not be a secure site. So I'm going to go away from there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, at the time when I did look at it, um, it was des describing how ligers happen. Like, okay, you, you, it's a, the blending of a lion and a tiger, um, which is it is possible to, for that to happen. I, I guess it doesn't typically normally happen in nature. Um, you know, like naturally they wouldn't normally be hanging out with each other to do that. I right, guess. Right. Um, actually, I can put, pull it up in my PowerPoint here. Um, for those watching. Um, <clears throat> This was the original homepage uh, for the Liger Liger website. And, I mean, these things are huge. It's interesting. It says, meet the tigers. Uh, they have Hercules, Zeus, Sinbad, and Vulcan. So, with the exception of <laughs> Sinbad, they're all named after Nephilim. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't recall Sinbad being uh, Nephilim, but maybe he was a demigod or some sort. Of, <laughs> uh, but anyway, all the other ones are named after Nephilim. And what they're saying is that that the growth inhibitor gene is in the male 
um, tiger and in the female lion. But when you have a male lion and a female tiger, there's no growth inhibitor gene. So a tigon is a, is a male tiger mating with a female lion. And the tigon you know, has different uh, features and colors that resemble the two. But they get to the size of a normal lion or a tiger. But the liger with the male lion and the female tiger, uh, there's no growth inhibitor gene there. So in other words, there's a genetic code in you and I that stopped us growing at whatever age we were when we stopped growing. So I, I stopped growing at about five foot, 10 and a half at roughly 16 years of age. That gene, that code kicked on and said, boop, that's it. That's where you stop growing. Well, all you have to do is turn that gene off or remove it. And guess what you get? You get a giant. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. So the liger, it will just keep growing until it dies because there's no code. The code has either been switched off or it's non-existent because of the way the mating took place. Wow. Uh, such that this creature just keeps on growing. <laughs> that's uh, very interesting. So, you know, for me, that demystified the whole thing. It's like, okay. Uh -huh. Like, this is actual real science, verifiable, observable, repeatable science that just, for me, totally demystified the issue of gigantism. Oh, that makes total sense. You know? Uh, and, with regard to all that, yeah. And why, uh, also, uh, the post-flood giants didn't get as big. You uh -huh. know? Because they're not living as long. I mean, if you're living 500 years without right. a, a gene inhibitor. Yeah, uh, they're not growing that long. Growing, yeah. So if the post-flood giants are dying, you know, between seventy and uh, and you know on the high side, five hundred. Well, if you think of the Anakim, right, um, and the early Amorites, size of cedar trees. And, and I always ask the question, what size cedar trees are we talking about? Because mm -hmm. uh, a modest cedar tree today gets to about thirty feet tall, but biblical cedars that we hear about, like the cedars of Lebanon, got Lebanon. to one hundred fifty. 150 yes. Doll. Right. <laughs> you know, these things are massively huge. But when you and I drew up a timeline chart, you know, I love my timeline charts right. uh, showing the house of Abraham uh, and the house of Arba and how they parallel with each other. And so Arba was probably pretty massively huge. Uh, he begets Anak, and Anak has the Anakim, right? Uh, Anak, I think, had four sons who had the Anakim. So you almost you almost have an Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and offspring parallel there. Uh, and, and so, but if you follow the the chronology of who's living how long, I mean, Abraham, like you said, he's at two hundred, and then by the time you get to Jacob, and you know, people are starting to live lesser and lesser until you get to Moses to one hundred and twenty, which is pretty much where we're capped out today. Uh huh. To this day, but David says, you know, Psalm ninety verse ten, generation seventy years, eighty up by strength. So if you make it right. past, you know, borrowed time, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that being the case, it's easy to understand how the Arbaites, if you want to call them that, uh, and even the Anakim, could have been still massively huge, but progressively smaller because they're not living as long. Right. And my contention is because people will be like, well, how do giants mate with women? like normal women. And mm -hmm. we, we see in the various mythologies that the Olympians were mating with Olympians, but they were also mating with human mortals. 
Um, and the Titans were mating with other Titans and Titans with Olympians. And so, you know, there's clearly this interbreeding of these gods and demigods and men of renown and, and so forth. And my contention is if they grow at a normal pace, then they are still of mating size, <laughs> mating appropriate yes. size, probably well into their 20s, maybe even 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, window of opportunity. Yeah, uh, the, that they would be of a, without getting too crude here, but they would be of an appropriate size that would fit uh-huh. a normal woman. Let's put it that right, way. Right, right. Uh, you know, for a number, for, for a period of time, anyway, that, that could extend at least into the 20s, if not maybe even the 30s. Right. And uh, it, I do remember that in some manuscript that it speaks about how, you know, when they get older and then they are giants, then they turn to each other. Uh-huh. In homosexuality, because there was nothing, you know, else, to do. nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although I do believe that there were probably female giants uh, as well. Yeah, initially, right. But mm-hmm. you know, granted, their their pickings would have been slim, I'd imagine. Right. Uh, yeah, and, according to the Book of Og, anyways. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna put the uh, picture back on the screen of the liger. Um, they got. Uh, one of them, there's there's this woman sitting on like a, a hunting hunter stand, and one of the uh, tigers, ligers, I should say, is rising up, and you see the chunk of meat that he's that she's gonna feed him. The chunk of meat is about maybe half the size of her head, so it's a good chunk of meat. But to wow. him, the chunk of meat is like the size of his eyeball. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Like like it, you're like, how much food do you have to feed a creature of that size? to maintain its healthy metabolism, you know, uh, right. that, that would be the problem is <laughs> if these things just keep growing, then their body still has a need for sustenance to sustain, you know, what's the basal metabolic rate thing is based on height and weight and all that for the amount of calories you need to take. It's easy to understand why the land of Canaan found, frequently found itself in a famine because mm-hmm. <laughs> it says the land devours itself. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which which probably uh, caused them to have to genetically modify the food. Why you might have had very large grapes, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that liger is huge. Wow, dude, it's like <laughs> twice as tall as that guy. Massive. Yeah, it's an incredible, awe-inspiring thing to see. But but it helps you understand too how. You know, we could have had, you know, saber saber-toothed tigers and, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, before. Right. And some of the people were asking in the chat room, do, do I think the animals, if all flesh was corrupted, were the animals that came on board um, corrupted? I, I tend to think, yeah, they probably were. To what degree? I don't know. I think that they were still um, good enough to be considered of their kind. Uh-huh. Put it that way. Now, that's not to say that there couldn't have been some other kind of corruption that was involved there, you know, that maybe caused them to be carnivorous or, you know, caused, you know, the snake venom to be poisonous or, you know, things like that may have caused, uh, you know, some kind of change, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And also in the Targum and also the legends of the Jews, or maybe it's the Perkti Rabbi Eleazar, that it speaks of how the angels were the ones that led the animals to the ark. And so. Yeah, um, they're selected, maybe. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, God selected the purest and just like 
you know, Noah oh. himself being well, pure in his generations. Yeah, there's another slide that I, uh, I'll put up on the screen here from my, it's the same presentation. Um, interesting observation, uh, put it that way, where I ask, you know, who made it and who didn't? Well, when we see Genesis 6.20, of the fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind and every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive, Genesis 6.20. Genesis 7.13 and 14. In the selfsame day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark, they and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. What curious phrase is missing when it comes to the humans? <laughs> uh -huh, yeah, true. Everything else has the, the phrase after it, after, after his, his kind. Yeah. We don't see that with the humans. Mm, now, that's interesting. I, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's anecdotal, but still. Uh, and, and then we see what gets destroyed in, this, in Genesis 7, 20 and 22. Fifteen cubits upwards did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. What curious phrase is missing mm -hmm. <laughs> from everything that got wiped out? Right. After their kind, now after their kind, yeah. we and Genesis um, Genesis six twelve is where we see that earth and all flesh had become corrupted. But I believe the exception to that, when it comes to the humans, is in the previous verses, where it says Noah was found pure in his gener yeah, generations, right? You know, righteous in his generations, pure in his generations. The words tamim, genetically pure. So, and we've talked about this before. If Noah is pure, genetically pure, and his wife is the daughter of Enoch, uh, she's pure. Uh, you know, I know we have a difference of opinion perhaps on where ham comes from, but I'm of the opinion that the males were pure. Uh, the females, that's another issue. Um, I do find it interesting that of all the creatures that are on the ark, it's the humans that don't have the phrase after his kind. Mm, yeah, that is very interesting. <laughs> there. Yeah. Wow, time is flying by. we got like eight minutes left. That's uh, crazy, yeah. So uh, maybe just we can banter a little bit for the next eight minutes because uh, I don't think I'll have enough time to read Joshua in that eight right. minutes. Come back after it, but um, I did. I'll, I'll share one passage really quick that sure uh, it ties into something that you said, and I think this will be interesting as well. Um, it's from the uh, the legends of the Jews. It says, while the descendants of Cain resembled their father in his sinfulness and depravity. The descendants of Seth led a pious and well-regulated life, and the difference between the conduct of the two stocks was reflected in their habitations. The family of Seth was settled upon the mountains in the vicinity of paradise, while the family of Cain resided in the field of Damascus, the spot whereon Abel huh? was slain by Cain. Oh. What, what, what text was that from? Legends of the Jews. Yeah, see? So, yeah, the field of Damascus. Yeah, and if you actually look that up, it, there's a uh, like this shrine on this hill, and I think it's the longest. Uh, I could be mistaken, but I think I read somewhere that it's the longest stairway in the world. It's like this. Oh uh, yeah, I, I think I've heard about that. I think my son told me about that actually. It has like a like a turquoise colored um, uh, railing, you know. Uh, but I mean, it's this long, really crazy long stairway. 
And uh, I have one of my characters is we, we kind of open the scene with him running and these, these Arabs are chasing it, shooting after him. And he's got something in a satchel and he's running feverishly running away from them down those, ste- down those steps. But uh, so, so that's interesting. That's right there in the legends of the Jews. Huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you'd find that interesting. So, you know, that does, you know, when we think in terms of end times about Damascus, which is the longest, uh, yes. I understand it, the longest uh, surviving city. Yeah, uh, uh, populated, and inhabited. Is still still continuously inhabited. Yes, it's right. going to be a ruinous heap. Right, yeah. And well. that's, you know, something that nobody could have even imagined, really. Um, and But it's prophetically found in Scripture and certainly... How we see a fulfillment of that, you know, because yeah. it is destroyed. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see that, and you know, it's kind of sick. When when I was in the pre-trib camp, I, I remember like people who are really in the pre-trib camp and that have these eschat- eschatology type of shows and ministries and stuff like that. It's almost like sadistic that they're like they're watching for the destruction of Damascus. You know. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, there's some kind of terrorist act or some kind of bombing or something happens. And see, oh, 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 oh. it's almost like the sadistic expectation and almost like a hope in a sick way mm-hmm. looking for. And I always had a problem with that. I'm like, OK, for your little happy rapture to happen, that means a whole right, lot. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're like getting excited that people are being massacred. You know, it's just uh-huh. they'll never admit to that. But yeah, it doesn't but, sit right at all. When you take a step back and just look at it objectively, is that's what's happening. You know? Right. Um, somebody was pointing out about uh, in regard to the animals uh, possibly being corrupted about the now you have clean and unclean. And I'm trying to think if there would have been – I mean we clearly see that there is the command. And, and this everybody thinks two and two by two, but not of clean. You got a lot more than two. Yeah, seven, seven by seven. Now, do you understand it to be seven animals or seven pairs? Seven pairs. Seven pairs. We have fourteen of mm-hmm. clean. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Because why would you know you have seven? It would be odd. One. Well, my yeah. thought, the possibility of, of it being seven with an odd one is mm-hmm. one. Just in case. Well, one for sacrifice. Uh, ah, after, yeah, true. Yeah, off the ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the others would be two by two, and that poor uh, remaining oddball one, I guess, uh, would be uh, sacrificed. Um, but do you are you aware of any reference to clean versus unclean prior to Genesis six in the Genesis six narrative? No, not not really. Other than you know the as far as the dietary, what you know the what well, are considered vegetarian for the most part uh, well oh yeah yeah no i mean after you know like uh, what we see in the pentateuch uh, yeah. but no not before and yeah they were vegetarian before so uh, this time so then i wonder if it, pigs are really bizarre and i've read a, a number of ancient texts that that almost make it sound like they may have been a human, human with, hybrid, yeah. like a or like a a wild boar blended with a human ends up yes, with, uh, because there's a lot of strange similarities between pigs right. and right. I mean, even today they'll they'll use pig organs mm-hmm. for human transplant. For human transplants, right? And, and pig be, blood. Yeah, 
and I'm, yeah, it's really bizarre. And um, yeah, they're uh, yeah, they're, that's a really strange subject. But yeah, I do think that there's some weird connection somewhere to all of that. Well, I mean, that would help. I mean, other than the fact that you know that they are garbage eaters and you know they retain all that stuff, and when you eat, uh, that, you know, you're the host of garbage that you are eating when you eat pork. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's really scary. Actually, we we did that experiment once because we had read about it. You know, yeah. where you, you cook pork. You know, you cook it as if you're going to eat it. So you cook it, prepare it the way you would as if you're going to eat it, and then pork. I think I think uh, Coca Cola. Coca Cola, yes. And it, it brings the worms out. Start seeing the worms come out. Ugh, First of all, that makes you think, oh man, you know, you were about to eat that pork with all right. that. And then you think, what is it about Coke that's making these feel you know, like Coke? Right. Yeah. Coke either, you know? <laughs> yeah. So weird. So very weird. <laughs> I remember we did it once. We did that test and we we're like, oh, man. Yeah. Disgusting. So, I mean, it is disgusting in and of itself, just like that. I mean, when you think of, you know, pork is basically the same as shrimp or lobsters, you know, in the, in the bottom feeders. Bottom they don't sweat. Yeah. But when you add to that the possibility that there could be actually a human component, component to, that. to that, yeah, cannibalism. So, and- perhaps going back to Genesis 6, Joshua 418's Jubilees uh-huh. 4, that becomes all the... And, and when you think about the maniac of Gadara and the uh, legion and the you know flock of pigs there. Right, right, yeah. That, man. Yeah, <laughs> definitely and, strange. And why that is an abomination um, I mean, in the book of Maccabees, I think it's First Maccabees chapter four, the act of offering the pig, not just because it's unclean, but perhaps because there may be human part of uh-huh. it. Right. I don't know. I mean, but what, I mean, they actually called the act of sacrificing the pig in the temple the abomination of desolation. Right. Right. So, man, and like Sheila said, if if bringing a pig into the stone temple was the abomination of desolation, what do you think it means when you bring a pig into the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body? Right. Our bodies, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, well, on that note, uh, we'll go to break and we'll talk some more. Maybe get Josh. Next All right. Every day, questions arise. Are the stories in the Bible true? What if I told you that there are hundreds of confirming witnesses which give intricate detail to the stories in the Bible? Have you ever found yourself deep in the rabbit hole with questions that no one seemed to have the answers to? Join us every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for our Ask Me Anything series with author and researcher Zen Garcia as he sheds light on the mysteries which have us all searching together. September 11 to the 13th, 2020. Purpose to reveal end time mysteries. To prepare the final generation. We must don the full armor of God. Featuring Zen Garcia. Dr. Joy Pugh. Rob Skiba. 
Gary Wayne. Yana Benun. Stephen Benun. Dr. Stephen Pigeon. Justin Garcia. Laurel Austin. Nathan Reynolds. Buy your tickets now at sacredwordrevealed.com. Your partnership with Sacred Word Publishing goes further than the publishing of ancient manuscripts and weekly video content. You also make a huge impact across the earth in orphanages in Myanmar, India, Uganda, and Kenya. Your support is crucial for the development of the Ecclesia of Real Truth Seekers. We thank you for joining us in hosting Secrets Revealed, Momentary Zen, the Digital Readers Club, Ask Me Anything series, and other shows that have helped lead so many to the truth of salvation. To become even more involved, please visit patreon.com slash sacredwordpublishing where you can partake in exclusive, interactive, patron-only content and help us continue shining the light of love in this darkened world. We're back on the Revolutionary Radio Project. I'm your host, Rob Skiba. And right before the break, we were talking about pigs and the possibility that they could have been genetically engineered by blending perhaps a boar or something like that with a human. And uh, something to think about, man. I mean, if they called, like we were saying right before the break, in First Maccabees, I think it's chapter 4, when they brought a pig into the stone temple, that was considered the abomination of desolation. And like Sheila said, she's like, well, if, I mean, if that's the way it was in the stone temple, what's it like when we put it in our body? Mm-hmm. You know, it's our body's supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And um, and then there's something else interesting to consider. Um, let me see if I can put this up on the screen. Uh, have you heard of EnviroPig? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do a Google for EnviroPig plus mouse. And they... Basically, a viral pig is created from a conventional Yorkshire pig by pronuclear embryo microinjection injection of the Asterichia or something like that. Anyway, they blend a pig with a mouse what? to create a less toxic pig. So it's an viral pig. It's a less toxic pig 
but they did it blending a pig with a mouse. Now, here's where it gets really that is crazy. Is if you look up Isaiah 66, 17, <laughs> Isaiah 66, 17 says, let me pull this up here. It's talking, this is end times here. This is Isaiah 66, the same passage where we have, you know, Isaiah 66, 8, can a nation be born in a day? Yep. Um, they that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be together, saith the Lord. That is crazy. Like, whoa, eating the swine's flesh and the mouse. <laughs> like, okay, you know, is that just a dink? <laughs> I don't know. That, that, seems- is, that is pretty crazy. Uh, I did look up one passage um, that talks about the unclean and uh, not clean animals. I'll just read that really quick before you go into Jasher. Okay. This is from the Perkti Rabbi Eliezer. It says that uh, Rabbi Takanon said that um, whilst yet the flood had not come, the unclean animals were more numerous than the clean animals. But when the waters of the flood came and the Holy One, blessed be he, wished to increase the clean and to diminish the unclean animals, he called to Noah and said to him, Take to thee into the ark of all clean beasts, seven and seven, the male and his female, and of the unclean beasts, two and two, the male and his female, as it is said. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee seven and seven, the male and his female, and of the beasts that are not clean, two and two, the male and his female. Last passage here. Noah said to the Holy One, Sovereign of all the worlds, have I then the strength to collect them unto me to the ark? The angels appointed over each kind went down and gathered them, and with them all their food unto him to the ark. They came to him of their own accord, as it is said, and they came unto Noah into the ark. They came by themselves, and they brought them to Noah, is it not written here? But And they came unto Noah into the ark. And I'll just add one final thing from the Targum. It says, of the fowl after its kind, and of all the cattle after its kind, and of every reptile of the earth after its kind, two of every sort shall enter to thee by the hand of the angel who will take and cause them to enter to thee to be preserved. Nice. Yeah, I think actually Joshua addresses some interesting stuff here about the animals uh, in this Mm -hmm. chapter. So uh, I'll jump over to Joshua chapter 6. At that time, after the death of Methuselah, the Lord said to Noah, Go thou with thy household into the ark. Behold, I will gather to thee all the animals of the earth, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and they shall all come and surround the ark. And thou shalt go and seat thyself by the doors of the ark, and all the beasts, the animals, and the fowls shall assemble and place themselves before thee. And such of them as shall come and crouch before thee shalt thou take and deliver into the hands of thy sons, who shall bring them to the ark, and all that will stand before thee thou shalt leave. And the Lord brought this about on the next day. The animals, beasts, and fowls came in great multitudes and surrounded the ark. And Noah went and seated himself by the door of the ark, and of all flesh that crouched before him he brought into the ark, and all that stood before him he left upon earth. And a lioness came with her two whelps, male and female, and the 
the three crouched before Noah and the two whelps rose up against the lioness and smote her and made her flee from her place. And she went away and they returned to their places and crouched upon the earth before Noah. And the lioness ran away and stood in the place of the lions. And Noah saw this and wondered greatly. And he rose and took the two whelps and brought them into the ark. And Noah brought into the ark from all living creatures that were upon the earth so that there was none left but that which Noah brought into the ark. Two and two came to Noah into the ark, but after, but from the clean animals and clean fowls, he brought seven couples. Okay, so seven couples. So we got 14 there. As he commanded, as God had commanded him. And all the animals and beasts and fowls were still there, and they surrounded the ark at every place, and the rain had not descended until seven days after. And on that day, the Lord caused the whole earth to shake, and the sun darkened, and the foundations of the earth raged, and the whole earth was moved violently, and the lightning flashed, and the thunder roared, and all the fountains of the earth were broken up, such as was not known to the inhabitants before. And God did this mighty act in order to terrify the sons of men, that there might be no more evil upon earth. And still, the sons of men would not return from their evil ways, and they increased the anger of the Lord at that time, and did not even direct their hearts to all of this. And at the end of seven days, in the 600th year of Noah's life, the waters of the flood were upon the earth, and all the fountains of the deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And Noah and his household and all the living creatures that were with him came into the ark on account of the waters of the flood, and the Lord shut him in. And all the sons of men that were left upon the earth became exhausted through evil on account of the rain, for the waters were coming more violently upon the earth, and the animals and beasts were still surrounding the ark. And the sons of men assembled together about 700,000 men and women, and they came unto Noah to the ark. And they called to Noah, saying, Open for us that we may come to thee in the ark, and wherefore shall we die? And Noah, with a loud voice, answered them from the ark, saying, Have you not all rebelled against the Lord and said that he does not exist? And therefore the Lord brought upon you this evil to destroy and cut you off from the face of the earth. Is not this the thing that I spoke to you of 120 years back, and you would not hearken to the voice of the Lord? And now do you desire to live upon earth? And they said to Noah, We are ready to return to the Lord. Only open for us that we may live and not die. And Noah answered them, saying, Behold, now that you see the trouble of your souls, you wish to return to the Lord. Why did you not return during these 120 years, which the Lord granted you as the determined period? But now you come and tell me this on account of the troubles of your souls. Now also the Lord will not listen to you. Neither will he give ear to you on this day, so that you will not succeed in your wishes." And the sons of men approached in order to break into the ark, to come in on account of the rain, for they could not bear the rain upon them. And the Lord sent all the beasts and animals that stood around the ark, and the beasts overpowered them and drove them from that place. And every man went his way, and they again scattered themselves upon the face of the earth. And the rain was still descending upon the earth, and it descended forty days and forty nights. And the waters prevailed greatly upon the earth, and all flesh that was upon the earth or in the waters died, whether men, animals, beasts, creeping things, or birds of the air. And there only remained Noah and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed, and they greatly increased upon the earth. And they lifted up the ark, and it was raised 
from the earth. And the ark floated upon the face of the waters, and it was tossed upon the waters so that all the living creatures within were turned about like pottage in a cauldron. And great anxiety seized all the living creatures that were in the ark, and the ark was like to be broken. And all the living creatures that were in the ark were terrified, and the lions roared, and the oxen lowed, and the wolves howled, and every living creature in the ark spoke and lamented in its own language, so that their voices reached to a great distance. And Noah and his sons cried and wept in their troubles. They were greatly afraid that they had reached the gates of death. And Noah prayed unto the Lord and cried unto him on account of this. And he said, O Lord, help us, for we have no strength to bear this evil that has encompassed us. Encompass us, for the waters, for the waves of the waters have surrounded us. Mischievous torrents have terrified us. The snares of death have come before us. Answer us, O Lord, answer us. Lift up thy countenance toward us and be gracious to us. Redeem us and deliver us. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Noah, and the Lord remembered him. And a wind passed over the earth, and the waters were still, and the ark rested. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters decreased in those days, and the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. And Noah then opened the windows of the ark, and Noah still called out to the Lord at that time, and he said, O Lord, who didst from the form the earth and the heavens and all that are therein bring forth our souls from this confinement? and from the prison wherein thou hast placed us, for I am much wearied with sighing. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Noah and said to him, When thou shalt have completed a full year, thou shalt then go forth. And at the revolution of the year, when a full year was completed to Noah's dwelling in the ark, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah put off the covering of the ark. At that time, on the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry, but Noah and his sons and those that were with him did not go out from the ark until the Lord told them. And the day came that the Lord told them to go out, and they all went from the ark. And they went and returned every one to his way and to his place, and Noah and his sons dwelt in the land that God had told them. And they served the Lord all their days, and the Lord blessed Noah and his sons on their going out from the ark. And he said to them, Be fruitful and fill all the earth, become strong and increase abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Man, that had to have been one terrifying, scary, uh, horrific. Uh, no. No, you know, we, no. just, we always just read the story of Noah's Ark and we see the little cartoon picture of an ark with the giraffe's head sticking out, you know. And the rainbow. And the rainbow. But, I mean, between the terror that was going on outside with all the animals that were being destroyed outside and the humans, the 700,000 people, you know, gathering finally, you know, Hey, remember that crazy guy I was talking about? <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's go to him now. Right. And he's like, too late. You know, you had 120 years. Right. So, yeah. And, um, in, in the Colbrand Bible, it speaks of this story. Um, and Noah is called Hanuk. H-A-N-O-K, and in the story in that particular text, uh, they think he's even crazier because he's living on top of a mountain, and he starts to build the ark on this high mountain, and, uh, you know, they think, what is he doing? There's no water around here, but God had told him in a vision that the waters would come to him, and that's indeed what 
had occurred. And so, uh, you know, they were thinking he was fully crazy building this boat <laughs> on top of the, on top of this mountain with no water around. Yeah. So. Um, you know, going back to the whole issue of the Mount Ararat versus the Ron Wyatt thing, I, you know, I got to say the, it, it's the drogue stones and the, not so much the Ark itself, but all the other stuff that they use as confirming, uh, potential confirming witness to that being the site that I do find very intriguing about the area mm -hmm. that Wyatt talks about. Um, however, that, that shape of the boat is more like a, almost like a canoe looking kind of shape to a rounded, uh, you know, like rather than the rectangular box that mm -hmm. the scriptures seem to describe. And there are other people that have, I mean, have done ground penetrating radar and find what looks to be ribs of right. wood. Rivets, yeah. Rivets and ribs and stuff. And yeah. other people have said, you know, it's it, it's just as likely that that could have been an ancient fortress because if you look at the topography there, that would be an ideal place to set up a fortress um, and that it could just be the remains of wooden fortress. And so you know, I don't know what to believe because there's also a lot of very intriguing imagery regarding you know, the mountain of Ararat that we call Ararat today. And Marco Polo called it Ararat because when he came through that area, the natives said, oh, yeah, that's where the Ark is. Ah, interesting. And, uh, so he was the one that named Mount Ararat Mount Ararat because of the people who lived there were aware that there was a boat up there. And, you know, I think it was during World War II, I believe it was a bomber plane or something was flying at high altitude and they spotted it. And that's what started a big fervor on it. And then later supposed satellite imagery. Uh, yes, I, I do believe that there are satellites. People say, well, how can you believe in satellites? Uh, look, I believe that there, if you can get high enough, you can orbit stuff above the circle of the Earth just as you can, just like the sun and moon are orbiting above us. So I don't have a problem believing that there could be technology orbiting up there. At any rate, something at high altitude took pictures of that area. And, you know, apparently there, there was a long, well-known legends of there being a boat up there and people have allegedly gone up there and at some point it broke in half and part of it slid down and there's a part that's higher up and you know uh astronaut jim Irwin spent the rest of his career after apollo uh going back and forth up there uh so you know i don't know i don't know which one to believe i think and maybe the drogue stones i don't know how far i, I never thought to figure out how far the Ron Wyatt site is from the other uh, Mount Ararat site. So I'd be interested to see if, mm -hmm. it, if it's not very far, then I can, then all of the other stuff that they found, including the body, you know, supposedly that was buried there and some of the other uh, stone artifacts and things like that could, because the drogue stones would have kept the Ark stabilized. Uh -huh. there, there's these big, huge stones that had like a, uh, eye c hole carved into the top of it that they could have right. like ballast or what have you. Um, and I subscribe to the model. I don't know if you, I've seen different models of the arc itself that would show that the interior of the, the like the center of the arc may have been uh, hollowed out um, to make sort of like a, almost like a bathysphere deal such that the water could go up and down inside of a, 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 a like a tube in the, so if you imagine the center of the arc having, I don't know what the width of it would be, but let's say maybe 10 feet. I'm just throwing a number out. 10 feet across and maybe 100 feet long. So you have this, and it's and it's all walled in, you know. 
so such that water could go up and down on the inside of it, which would have done a number of things. It would have stabilized the ark. It could have been also used to clean the ark out of animal stuff, mm-hmm. and it would have created a, a ventilation system. So the water going in and out would have sucked air in and blown air out. Mm, so that's very interesting. Uh, that is a really interesting model. You can probably do Google searches on that. But I, I think the, um, you know, they built that life-size ark. Uh, I forget where it is. Yeah, Ken, Ken Ham. Yeah. Ham. Uh, I don't know if they built it with that model in mind. It seems like somebody said that they did, that that model may have actually have that there so you can go check it out and see the reasoning behind it. Yeah. And it would have also stabilized the ark, uh, you know, from it. Actually, you know, they they felt like the arc was going to snap because of all the turmoil that they were experiencing. But structurally, it was obviously going to be sound enough. You know, God wouldn't have had to build it that way uh, otherwise. But right, it's definitely an interesting idea. Uh, I I I'm intrigued by the Ron Wyatt location, but I still lean more towards the the story of Mount Ararat, and Marco Polo, and all that. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't heard a, a lot about all of that, um, but I do remember seeing the photo um, of the image, supposedly of the, you know, the structure up there. But um, you know, again, I, I don't really know. Uh, seemingly, Jonathan Gray went and confirmed Ron Wyatt's um, discovery, but. I, I haven't really even examined that uh, in great detail, even though I did an interview with him about it. Um, but that wasn't the full focus of what we were talking about. Uh, yeah. But it's intriguing, uh, to say the least. I interviewed, uh, uh, well, actually, Aaron Judkins, uh, he went on a, he, they made a documentary, Finding Noah, uh, uh, which that's kind of a deceptive title. They were they went out to go try to find Noah, but they didn't. Um, but it is an interesting documentary, and I've spent time talking. I get to see the premiere of it. Uh, of Where did the, they go? They went to the Ararat. Uh, oh, okay. The traditional Ararat deal. Uh-huh. I think it's called the uh, Hora Gorge or something. I think is the name of it, uh, which is like this uh, sort of in, up in the mountain is this like um, like a avalanche slide of snow that goes down into like this almost like a canyon in the mountain and mm-hmm. that that's the area where i believe the so the story goes the half of the arc that split that broke ha- has slid down into that area there and i don't remember if that's where they were going into that area or the upper area but they were doing various uh, ground penetrating radar stuff and you know people have come back with petrified wood you know mm-hmm. from up there that uh you know, had nails in it and what have you. So, yeah, there was something built at, there was something of, of a wooden nature at both locations. Uh-huh. Ron Wyatt location as well as the, uh, you know, the Mount Ararat one. Um, and the one at Mount Ararat is more of the box structure, you know, uh-huh. traditional, traditional, yeah. Versus the the more canoe looking boat structure that uh, Ron Wyatt's and in in the for the Ron Wyatt one to work, it's wider. But the, they what they say is well after it began to break apart the you know the ribs flayed out and that's why it's of a of a larger dimension than the description we have in the arc. Mm, mm, okay. I don't know. Look, I, I think Ron Wyatt was like you said blessed to see a lot of amazing things and find mm. a lot of things. 
Personally, I'm not convinced of either of his Ark discoveries, the Noah's Ark or the Ark of the Covenant. Um, you know, he claims that nobody. I met with um, shortly after Ron Wyatt died. I met with uh, uh, Richard Reeves, who was like Ron Wyatt's right hand guy uh-huh. for like many of his expeditions, and I met him at a Sukkot. And uh, I said, okay, the story that Ron Wyatt tells of the Ark of the Covenant allegedly being underneath the cross of Golgotha where Yeshua was killed, mm-hmm. blood supposedly, you know, when the earthquake happened, drip, yeah, the cloth, got it, yeah. and it supposedly dripped down into, onto the Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was like, man, that's a fascinating story. And he goes, all I can tell you is Ron fervently believed what he said, but I have found no evidence of it. And he's... Been there many times, following in Ron's footsteps. I mean, he was his right hand guy, and you know he's he's. And I was going to go on a team. I, I didn't end up being able to do it, but he was recruiting people to go with him uh, on an expedition out there looking for it. Wow. So I remain very skeptical of that story. Um, there's been no evidence that anybody can corroborate his story about taking the blood supposedly him, him supposedly encountering it, getting a sample of the blood, taking it to be tested. You know, it's a fascinating, intriguing, wild, awesome story, Mm -hmm. but nobody can vet it. So, you know, I I don't know. uh, So I remain skeptical of both of Ron's arc discoveries, but uh, Richard Reeves also had the, um, I believe Ron Wyatt did find the location of Sodom and Gomorrah or confirm it. um, And, Uh Real Mount Sinai and the the altar uh, where they had the golden calf and there's so many other things that he did that yeah, right. right on target and uh, he had I actually got samples of the um, man I don't even know what I did with that since we moved but I had samples from uh, of brimstone from Sodom oh, wow. and it's fascinating stuff man I mean it's this chalky kind of stuff but you could put it like on a metal spoon and light it up and man I, that stuff burns real hot. Wow, that's so crazy. It's kind of a funny story. My parents are both, you know, um, Bible scholars and teach like college level Bible school stuff. And so when I got this, I sent some of it as sort of show and tell for my parents to take to their Bible class, you know. And I put a couple of it, a little bit of it in a Ziploc bag and and a copy of his book and a note that explained all of it. And mom just saw a Ziploc bag with what she thought was donuts in it. She's like, oh, Sheila must have made some donuts. She took it out and then plopped it in her mouth. And she's like, oh, no. is That's nasty. And then she reads a note that this is a remnant of Sodom and Gomorrah. And she's like, oh, no. I just oh, in my mouth. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, that's just nasty. She's a bite. Out of, she wasn't. She's like she's opening the card as she's thinking she's grabbing a don't a powdered donut. You know? That is so crazy. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we got two minutes before the end of the broadcast. Probably can't go a whole lot deeper. But any right. any final thoughts on on what we read from Joshua there uh, with the animals? Oh uh, yeah, I I think that story is uh, in intriguing, and uh, yeah, I love the Book of Jasher and the additional um, uh, you know insight that it provides on all of the different stories that um, you can find paralleled in the biblical account, and you know that's why I find what we are doing in this particular Genesis revisited, uh, you know, looking at all these parallel accounts, I think it's going to be greatly beneficial for people and that um, it'll give them the ancient sources to actually go and check out for themselves as well. 
Yeah, the thing that stood out to me, and I actually made a comment on, uh, did a, wrote a commentary on this in my Genesis uh, extra biblical textbook, uh, verse eleven, where it's talking about, and that day the Lord caused the whole earth to shake first, and the sun darkened, like mm-hmm. like He gave a big thump on the earth. Now at that time, I believe the earth was a globe, so I went into speculation about maybe a comet. You know, because the prevailing view at the time was the firmament was a canopy that surrounded the earth, you know, uh, and that maybe uh-huh. penetrated it and hit perhaps in the area of the Yucatan Peninsula, maybe. Uh, and that and that's what caused the earth to shake first and then the rain to come down. But haven't looked at this revisited with a biblical cosmological worldview. So uh, kind of got to re- rethink that whole deal. But we're out mm-hmm. of time. Can't do that. So we'll pick up on your show next week. All right, and- brother. As always, great show, Zen. Thanks so much for joining me here this evening. And everybody in the chat room, thank you so much. We'll see you back next week on the Revolutionary Radio Podcast. Be blessed, all. Good night. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this video and this broadcast. We appreciate all of you, and thank you for your patronage. Please do like and subscribe and share with your friends. God bless all of you and your seeking.